0: Hey, everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Amen. You guys can take a seat. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at Revision. I'm excited to be here today. How about you? All right. I like to golf. I'm not particularly good at it, and it's not the cheapest habit, but for the last few years, I've been golfing for free. It's kind of nuts. A guy I knew in college bought a house in Johnston with a really nice private golf course in the backyard, And he told me I could come play whenever I wanted. And so I have, other than a couple months when I was rehabbing a shoulder. I've been golfing there, and I was really looking forward to golfing there again this spring until a buddy of mine forwarded me an article about the guy who owned the house and golf course. And he got arrested for fraud and embezzlement and a laundry list of other things. So he's going to prison for a while. And I had a moment of realizing I'm a horrible person because my first thought when I read the article was, oh, I'm not going to pay for golf again. (laughs) And then I snapped out of it and lamented and prayed over the terrible brokenness of the situation. But as I was reflecting on my initial thoughts, I realized it's pretty jarring as a human being when something you've come to depend on goes away. I experienced that in late March every year when McDonald's removes what is inarguably the greatest item on their menu from the menu, the shamrock shake. If you don't think those are delicious, you're wrong. They're the best. But in life, don't shake your head at me. In life, though, sometimes this happens with stuff that's slightly more significant than free golf or fast food. And this morning, we're kicking off a brand new series of messages where we're going to ask and answer the question, what do you do when the river runs dry? What do you do when something you've relied on for provision stops providing? What do you do when something that's been a source of security for you is no longer a source? How do you navigate a season when the river has run dry? And for some of us sitting in here this morning, that, that source of provision might be a job. And maybe right now or sometime in the future, you're going to be faced with the question, how do I keep on moving forward in life now that I got laid off, now that my company shut down? What do I I do with this situation? For some of us, maybe it's a relationship with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse, a parent, a child, a best friend. Like, how do you move forward when something that's been such a meaningful part of your life breaks down or goes away? For some of us, it might be something you used to be able to do that you can't anymore, like grow hair. You could wake up one morning and it's gone, I promise you. Or even more significantly, and this is a complete hypothetical, play catch with your kids. And then you get old and your arm breaks down you can't do it anymore. You're like, I really like to do that. And it was part of, like, our connection and how do, I, how do I navigate that? And maybe for some of us, that thing we've relied on is a part of who we were. Like a way that we reacted to people and situations, but now somehow anxiety's got like a foothold in our minds and we feel like being who I used to be is impossible. I actually talked to a couple of church planning friends in the last few weeks who are both wondering if they've just kind of lost the plot as leaders. They follow God in the situation that they believed he was leading them to and some good stuff has happened and God has shown up and they feel like they've been through the ringer and and they're grateful for what God's done, but they don't know if they can do it anymore. One of them actually forwarded me a note from a different pastor's journal that read, I am so discouraged and so blank, so blind to the future of my church. Have mercy on me, Father, for I must preach on Sunday and I can barely lift my head. And for these guys who are feeling like the river has run dry, it's a special emptiness because it feels like the river God led them to has run dry. I think there are probably a lot of us in here who can relate. We've been in situations that we felt like God led us to. We felt like those were his will for our life, and then all of a sudden, he stopped providing. How do we navigate that? How do we hold on to hope and faith when the spot God placed us is no longer working? Does it mean he doesn't care about us anymore? Does it mean he said peace out and just abandon us or that he used us there for a season and then discarded us? No, it doesn't mean any of that. That's a simple answer, but knowing that answer doesn't make staring at a dry riverbed any easier. So how do we navigate these situations where things we used to rely on suddenly disappear? That's what we're going to answer over the course of the next few weeks by digging into the book of 1 Kings, specifically beginning in chapter 17, as we walk through the life of a guy named Elijah. If you have a Bible with you this morning, you can crack it open to 1 Kings 17. If you don't, you can follow along on the screen or in the revision app. And if you need a Bible or your kids do, grab them from the next steps table. They're our gift to you. But as you're turning there, a little bit of historical background so we can understand the situation. This is about 870 BC, and God's people, the Israelites, are split into two different nations, a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. And the northern kingdom of Israel at this point has experienced 18 consecutive evil kings spanning a period of almost 200 years. And things are spiraling. Like If you're sitting here this morning and you're a little bit disillusioned with the political leaders we've got in America… And chances are you're a little bit disillusioned with the political leaders we've got in America. Try and wrap your mind around two straight centuries of wicked, godless leaders, no matter what way you turn. That's the situation here. And then this guy named Ahab becomes king, and he is the wickedest one yet. First Kings 16 says he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than all those who had come before him. And he had a little bit of help from his wife. He met this cute chick from the pagan nation of Sidon, which was right in next to Israel, and he married her, and her name was Jezebel, and she was the worst. She was so... Evil, she brought along her two favorite Sidonian gods with her, Asherah and Baal. And then in order to make sure the Israelites worshiped them instead of the real God, she just murdered every prophet of God that she could find. She's like, you know what, we're really gonna need here is child sacrifice and a whole bunch of other horrifying stuff. So this is really, really dark time. And into that space, instead of calling an army. God calls an individual, Elijah. And for what it's worth, as we begin to dig into his story over the course of the next few weeks, I think it's important to mention this is a paradigm God still uses. There's broken stuff in our world, broken stuff in our city. He wants to do something about, and he is a God who moves by raising up individual men and women to take a stand and make a difference whether it's a business leader deciding they're going to live ethically in the middle of a deeply unethical space, whether it's a student deciding they're going to take a stand for purity in the middle of a pleasure-obsessed culture, whether it's a person deciding they're going to live with radical generosity in the middle of a selfish society, whatever it may be, I believe God can take one life. And if you'll let him, God will take your life and use it to make a significant impact. On your world. And that's Elijah's story, even though he was sometimes a reluctant messenger. In 1 Kings 17, God's looking at his people, worshiping Baal, because that's what King Ahab told them to do, and he sends Elijah to the king with a message. And real quick, before we read Elijah's message, it's important to know Baal was part of the, this pantheon of gods, and specifically, he was the god of the weather. And so people believed he was the one who allowed the crops to grow by sending dew in the morning to keep the fields wet and sending rain to fill the rivers. In fact, Baal was known as the Lord of the dew and rain. Hold on to that thought. First Kings 17, 1 Kings 17.1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. All right, first things first. Elijah is a Hebrew compound word that means Yahweh is my God. Yahweh, like the specific personal name God gave himself when he was talking to Moses from the burning bush in Exodus 3. So God sends a guy named Yahweh is my God to a king thinking Baal is our God. And right away, as soon as you read his name, you know what's about to go down. And Elijah immediately starts throwing shade. He's like, hey, Yahweh, the, the Lord of this land you're supposed to be leading, he lives, not like that dead, lifeless idol you've been worshiping. And there's not gonna be any more dew or any rain until God lets me know. And I tell you, I know you've been rolling into the temple of Baal thinking, oh, great, he's providing us with dew and rain. He's the Lord of the dew and the rain. Well, he's not, and you and everybody around you are about to learn that in a really powerful way. And it begs the question, why would God cut off the rain. The answer is his people had forgotten the true source. So when their crops grew because the ground was damp in the morning, when they went to go get water and the rivers were flowing because they'd been blessed with rain, they thought, oh good, Baal is looking favorably upon us. Like maybe maybe if we keep sacrificing our children in his temple— Maybe if we keep living in fear every moment and jumping through the hoops and doing all the rituals, then maybe, maybe, maybe he won't curse us with a drought because that'd be a death sentence. See, their trust had migrated from the source to something that wasn't trustworthy or true. It was actually epically destructive to their souls, their lives, their joy, and their futures. And so God looked at the situation and decided, I got to cut off the supply to remind them of the true source for their own good. And There's something powerful here for us as we face down difficulties and look at, ri- or look at rivers that have run dry in our lives. And here it is, sometimes God turns off the flow because our faith needs to grow. I think if we were honest about our stories, all of us could realize that it's harder to grow our faith in God when everything else in our lives is growing. When we're flourishing and things are going well, it's difficult to continually remind ourselves that we're totally dependent upon Him. It's a whole lot easier to just take our eyes off of the giver and turn them toward the gifts. But if we do that, when we do that, we run the risk of walking this really dangerous path that Israel walked that honestly cut them off from the lives that they were meant to live. It destroyed their purpose. But we, we've all been there from time to time. I have. I've had moments when the river seemed to be flowing, even as a leader and a pastor. We're like, hey, this church is going good. We must be great at it. And I somehow took my gaze away from God and, and fixated on, on trusting the river rather than the rainmaker. And then when that happens, my default like thought as it dries up, is I should check Google rather than go to God. Like, what are other leaders doing? How do you solve this stuff? And it's, it's such a stupid thing to do. And yeah, it's such a natural thing to do for every single one of us. When things are going well, we take our eyes off the giver and we place them on the gifts. And so when a river dries up in your life, when, not if, I want to challenge you to start by asking the question, Is it possible God turned off the flow because my faith needs to grow? Like if I've really been acknowledging him as the source of every good thing in my life, or has my faith migrated away from the rainmaker to the river? As you think about provisions that have dried up in your life, blessings that don't exist anymore, like ask that question right now. Did God turn off the flow because your faith needs to grow? Some of you may need time to contemplate it and pray about it, but some of us don't. We're sitting here going, oh, I've been super stressed out because I have been trusting that my job was the source of provision for my future and I'm worried I'm gonna lose it. I'm I'm depressed because I thought that relationship was the source of my joy and now it's over and I don't know how to move on or even really move. Or I'm full of anxiety because I thought the the government was going to be my source of security, and ugh. like no matter what it may be for you now or in the future, if you realize this has happened, just bring it to God. Let me say, God, you turned off the flow, and whatever your reason may be, it has reminded me my faith needs to grow. Would you help me not to put my faith in the wrong stuff, in dead, lifeless gifts, when it should be in the giver, and allow him to transform your heart and remind you that he is the giver of every good thing. You guys, until God is enough for you, you will never have enough, ever. But if God is enough for you, you will never not have enough. That's what God desperately wanted to remind his people in 1 Kings 17. So he sent Elijah to tell King Ahab, the real Lord of the dew and rain says, it ain't raining for a bit. And then in verse 2, It says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here and turn eastward and hide in the Kerith Ravine east of the Jordan. Two things to note here. Number one, God is protecting Elijah by telling him to hide because Ahab is the most evil king in a whole long line of evil kings. And Jezebel has no problem murdering prophets. Like if he stayed, he was going to get killed. We sometimes use the phrase, don't shoot the messenger. You know why that's a phrase? because the messenger is the easiest person to shoot. You're angry, and they're right there, just like, pew-pew, and God knows that. So he's like, all right, Elijah, you gotta go hide out for a little bit. But also, God's foreshadowing something when he says, go hide out in the Kareth ravine. The word Karath in Hebrew means cut down, like cut down a tree. And what God is telling Elijah is, I'm gonna cut you down here. You got a little bit of pride now that you stood up to the king. Yeah, this guy, he's been murdering prophets, but I took a stand. I told him God's words. I'm going to kill any pride that's left in you. I'm going to bring you to a place where you know that you know that you know that I am the source. You're going to have to entirely rely on me before I can do through you what I want to do through you next. I got to do this thing in you. And so he gets sent to the Kareth Ravine. God says, go there. You will drink from the brook. And I've directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. I think this is one of the coolest stories in the entire Bible. Like, even though there's going to be a terrible drought in all of Israel, God sends Elijah to a place of provision where he's going to miraculously get food and water. And there's something huge in here for us. is this. If we go where God guides, he always provides. Always, every single time. God never calls us to a place or a purpose and then fails to give us everything we need to live faithfully. And the operative word in that sentence is need. He doesn't always give us what we want or what we we think we'd like to live faithfully. I know that from personal experience. That has not been my experience of following Jesus at all. I tell him lists of things that I want and he seems entirely unconcerned about any of that most of the time, but I can't stand up here and say that I have ever struggled to have what I need to be and do what God's called me to. Because when we go where God guides, he always provides. I don't wanna encourage you. Because my guess is at least a few of us in this room are in a spot right now where we've been chasing God. We think we are where God wanted us to be, and yet we don't feel like we have the provision necessary to sustain it and to be faithful in this season. And if I could offer any word of encouragement, it would be open your eyes and look around. It probably isn't what you wanted. It's almost never what you expected. But if you're following God, the provision is there, just like it was for Elijah. I mean, he didn't want to have to rely on birds to feed him. You can't take a lot of pride in that as a man. Like, I got to wait for the birds to show up with breakfast. It wasn't really fun. And also, ravens are gross and loud. I don't know if he thought that. I think that. I don't like any animals, though. So I might be a bad judge. Either way, God provided. And the specific way in which this story is written is so cool because of what it means for us. It starts with a brook and ravens feeding Elijah, and then it ends with the ravens feeding Elijah and the brook again in reverse order. And I'm going to go like total Bible nerd on you for a minute. Sorry, not sorry. This in Hebrew is something known as a chiasm. It's a structure where authors would emphasize important points by repeating them in, verse or, or in reverse order, like one, two, three, four, three, two, one. And there are probably three of you who are like, that sounds really cool. I'd love to talk to you about that after the service. And I would love to talk to you about that after the service. But for the 98% of you who are almost asleep, give me a couple more seconds. This is the only thing you need to know about a chiasm. It's when someone really, really wants to drive home a couple important points. And in a chiasm, those two important points are the center and the outside ends. And the center of this passage, is Elijah went. He went. God said go, and he went, because if he didn't go, he was going to get killed. Like at some point, if he stuck around the murderous king and queen, someone was going to put a sword through him. And even if he miraculously escaped Ahab's sword, he was still going to suffer the negative effects of the drought that the rest of Israel was suffering. And so God told him, I want to provide, but you got to take a leap of faith and Go somewhere for it to happen. And so Elijah went, because when we go where God guides, he always provides. But the outside ends of this passage are the brook, which is really fascinating to me, because I think when we read the story, we get really hung up on the ravens. We're like, time out. God used birds to door dash Elijah's meals. He just sat there, and they'd be like, hey, man, what you want? He's like, I'll take the filet medium rare side salad. All right. Like, I just, like, that's nuts. And it is miraculous, right? So that's the part where we're like, what? That's mind-blowing. We forget about the the river part, and there's a reason it's on the outside ends, because God is the source of the ravens and the river. Like, it's simple for us sometimes to recognize the presence and the blessing of God and the supernatural stuff. We're like, that could not have happened outside of God. That must have been God. But in the natural, everyday stuff of our lives, we forget that God is behind all of it. Like, He's the source of the birds and the brook. And if we miss out on the idea that every single blessing in our lives, everything that sustains us, everything that allows us to move forward comes from God, then we miss out on the kind of gratitude we ought to be living with, this life-changing type of gratitude because we're like metering out to God based on his chosen delivery system. A couple of years ago, I was sitting at a dinner with a bunch of pastor buddies, and one of them had recently had open heart surgery. So he was still moving a little bit slow, tender, feeling a lot of pain. And at one point during dinner, another guy looked at him and asked like, hey, do you ever get grumpy at God during this season? Like, we laid hands on you, man. We prayed for healing, and then now you're, like, in rehab and recovery, and God didn't heal you. You ever, like, mad at him about that? And his answer just turned the table immediately. He said, dude, what are you talking about? God did heal me. He just used a scalpel and some stents in my arteries to do it. I'm alive. I know who's responsible for that. Like, sometimes in our lives, it's easy to forget that God is the God of the supernatural and the natural, and even pastors forget that sometimes. But when we remember it, it just shifts the way we think. And so I want to challenge all of you this week to do something, to make a list of every provision God has given you. Like, take an inventory of every river that's flowing in your life, and maybe do it like this. Draw a circle on a blank sheet of paper, and draw a line down the middle. On the left side, write down every supernatural blessing, every, like, only God could have done this blessing that you're experiencing in your life. And on the right side, write down every natural thing that you depend on, food, water, shelter, everything. Your right side might be bigger than your left side. That's all right. And then take some time to stop and thank God for every single one of those things, because if you do, your life will be better. There are countless studies that show people who regularly practice gratitude are not only happier, but healthier. I read remember this week, a whole bunch of American universities partnered up to do this study, and what they found was that people who say thank you for 10 things a week are 25% happier than people who don't hit that 10 thing mark. They also discovered that over the long term, making gratitude an intentional life practice leaves people over 50% happier in their marriages, 77% less likely to suffer heart disease, and on average, those people live 10 years longer than ungrateful people. Those are staggering numbers, and even if they're off by a little bit, there's no doubt that gratitude makes a difference, and so I want to encourage you this week, take some time. To thank God because He is good and gratitude is good for you. It's good for you. It changes the game, especially, especially when things are going well. Because when things are going well, that's when our focus tends to shift. But gratitude intentionally forces us to take our eyes off the river and turn them back to the rainmaker. And that's essential because I have bad news for you this morning. The river will run dry. It will. Even if, even when, it's a river God led you to and once used to provide for you. This is what we read in first Kings seventeen, seven. Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. On the one hand, this makes sense, right? They were in the middle of a drought; the brook dried up. On the other hand, God told Elijah to go there and promised him he would drink from the brook, and then he just quit providing a brook. If I was Elijah, I'd had some angry questions for God. You wake up one morning and the water's not there anymore, and you're just like, "Ah, ah." What was that whole you'll drink from the brook thing? I thought you didn't lie. Like, what's, what are you, why? And it's a fair question. And it's one Elijah certainly had. What was God doing? Why would the river run dry? And some of us have undoubtedly had similar questions. We've been in a place we thought God wanted us with a job, a relationship, or a situation, and then it evaporated. It was gone. And we wonder, why did God let that happen? Why would he ever put an expiration date on a blessing? And the answer is not that complicated. It's just super uncomfortable and difficult to grab hold of when we're sitting in the pain. Because he loves you. Some of you are looking at me a little confused, like, what do you mean by that? God loves you too much to allow his provision to become a problem in your life. I know that sounds a little bit ridiculous, but let me explain. Provisions become problems when we get confused about the source. That's what happened in 1 Kings 17. Israel started to believe that this fake, oppressive God, Baal, was the source of the dew and rain, and it became a problem for their souls and their future, and so God turned off the flow in order to draw them back to himself. But also, also, provisions become problems in our lives when they make us so comfortable We forget to keep looking for where God might want us to go next. That's why the brook dried up. God took Elijah to this place where he had something to do in him, where he could cut down his pride and teach him to rely on the giver because Elijah was going to need that sort of rock-solid reliance if he was going to win the fight that was up ahead of him. But there was a fight up ahead of him that God wanted him to get into. And as long as he stayed where he was in this space where he was safe and he was comfortable, he couldn't go do the things God wanted to do through him next. God had more for Elijah's life story than simply existing alone in a ravine being fed by birds. But that more meant walking back out of the safe space into a dark culture where the king and queen were not shy about declaring how much they wanted him dead for daring to defy them. And if I put myself in Elijah's shoes again here... I think I would have been trying to negotiate with God. I'm like, yeah, this isn't glamorous, but at least like, I, I like it here now. At first I didn't, but my, like, if I stay, my head stays on my shoulders, and that's where I want it to be. I don't want it over there. I want it here. So God turned off the brook because Elijah needed to go somewhere, and foreshadowing the next few weeks, Elijah went. And what he experienced from this point forward was, was even greater And greater and greater experiences of God showing up and doing great things in the world through him. But to be fair, he also experienced greater and greater and greater personal cost. And in his life story, this is the only literal river that ran dry. But what we're going to see is again and again and again, God provided something for him and then quit providing that thing in order to remind him to trust the rainmaker and not the river And invite him to continue stepping forward into the great story God wanted to write through his life. And you guys, for us, the next chapter God's got out ahead of us, collectively as as a church community, but also as individuals, is filled with great adventure. It's filled with the opportunity to see him move in the world in a way that changes people. And writes a better story For them. But it's just not comfortable or easy if we're actually going to follow him. That's not how it works. It's full of problems because problems are actually the main ingredient of miracles. You can't see a miracle unless you start with a problem. But if we're willing to trust that what God's got got out ahead of us is so, so good, it's worth stepping into if we're willing not to let his provision become a problem that keeps us comfortable right where we're at, but we're willing to step in faith toward what he's got next, we will witness him doing miraculous things. We'll get a front row seat and we'll be reminded continually again and again and again, even though it isn't always easy for us, that he is the source of every great thing. And and to remind us all of that as we start this series, I have a challenge for you. I mentioned it earlier. I'm going to repeat it now. I invite you, I dare you, to take some time this week and actually write down that provisions list. It's not going to take you long. It's like 10 minutes of your week, maybe. But do it. Take a minute and write it down. Write down every blessing God's poured into your life, every river that has flowed or is flowing right now. And then I want you to do two things with that. Number one, circle some of the stuff where the river might be drying up or it has dried up. And then prayerfully come to God and ask the question, did you turn off the flow because my faith needs to grow? Have I let my, my trust and my security migrate to what you've given me rather than you as the giver? And I'll also ask, is this provision a problem for me? Is this a place where I'm so comfortable that maybe it's drying up because you want me to move to the next thing you want to do in and through my life? And then... Secondly, just take a look at the entire list and thank God for everything on there. Take a minute out of your life or a few minutes out of your life to express gratitude to him for being a constant source of goodness for you. Because I think if you don't, if you won't, if if we won't take a few minutes to do this or even make it a regular practice, then we're going to continue to find ourselves shocked and hurting when the rivers dry up in our lives. But if we do, if we become a people who are intentional about remembering that God is good and that he's the giver, then when provisions stop providing, we'll be able to live with peace because we know it's just a chance to turn our gaze back to him. And we'll be able to develop to a whole new level of gratitude that allows us to live with the kind of joy and hope we were made to live with in a way that not only makes our lives better, but allows us to breathe joy and hope to a joyless, hopeless culture. Will you just pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for being a provider. Thank you for the way that you show up for us. Lord, all of us have spaces where the river has run dry. All of us have spaces where we, we've taken our eyes off of you as the rainmaker and turned them toward the river. Would you help us remember who you are and how you love us and what it is you wanna do in our lives Would you help us live with the kind of gratitude that not only changes the game for us, but actually points the people we crash into out there in this world toward you? Lord, thank you for being the source and the giver of every good thing. Amen.